We begin talking about nullifying vows on Shabbat, and that will lead into a discussion of nullifying vows at night uh, with one person, uh, even if that person is a relative. Okay, these are going to be all very relevant uh, because nowadays, um, uh, at least our community has a custom uh, to do Hatarat Nadarim at night, on usually on Mosei Shabbat, um, uh, even though generally courts do not meet at night. So is this valid? Um, also, Kal Nidre, uh, Yom Kippur, is done also at night. All right, so we're going to see all about that. We begin. Tenan Hatam, there's a Mishnah in Masechet Shabbat that says, Mifirin Nidarim Beshabbat V'nishalin Lindarim Shehen L'Sorech Shabbat. There's a difference between Hafarat Nidarim and um, uh, nishalin, hashalat nedarim, um, mefirin, that refers to a husband annulling. We'll use the word annulling the wife's vows that gets annulled from the beginning. He doesn't want her to ever have had it. Nishalin means to request. That's talking about anyone who makes a vow. It doesn't have to be on the same day uh, that anyone hears about it, can come at, a, at any point to a sage or to a betin and request that they dissolve the vow and they look into it. And uh, so it's not automatic, right? Each one has uh, different criteria. Uh, that which one can use? One is only by the husband. One is by a chacham or by a um, a betin, and um, one can be done only during that day. One can be done anytime. So v'nish alin that refers to a sage, um, and here's the diff- another distinction between them that nedarim can a husband can annul them on Shabbat, whereas dissolving vows can only be done on Shabbat if it's related, it's for the purpose of Shabbat. A person makes a vow that they're not going to drink wine, but that is going to take away from their onig Shabbat, so that would be something that they can dissolve on Shabbat. But if someone takes a vow that they're never going to drive anymore, well, they're not driving on Shabbat anyway. In that case, one could not dissolve that on Shabbat. That's the Mishnah in Masechet Shabbat. Question. Can the husband annul a vow on Shabbat only if it's related to Shabbat or even if it's not related to Shabbat? In other words, that Mishnah was not clear. It said that you can do on Shabbat, a husband can annul, and, but doesn't say what circumstance. But then for the second clause, it says that Betin. Uh, can dissolve a vow only if it's for Sorech Shabbat. This phrase, L'Sorech Shabbat, does that, mal- does that modify only the second clause about Hashalah, or does it mo- modify also the first clause? And so you can read it all as one, that both a husband can annul and a sage can dissolve a vow on Shabbat only if it's for the purpose of Shabbat. Right, so it's referring to all of them, or maybe it's only referring to the second, but a husband can dissolve his wife's vow even if uh, on Shabbat, even if it's not related to Shabbat. That's the question, and we have an answer to Hashemah. The Tane Rav Zuti Debe Rav Papi and Mafirin Nedarim Ela Lesorech Shabbat. Here you see it says that you don't need a uh, husband only annuls a vow. Um, uh, on Shabbat, if it's for the purpose of Shabbat. Okay, so that's we have an answer. But Ravashe countered this and this Baraita, 
and said this Bedaita does not seem to agree with our Mishnah, the Mishnah that we saw on the daf yesterday, which said that if a woman makes a wife makes a vow um, um, at close to nighttime, meaning on Saturday afternoon, a few minutes before it gets uh, before sunset then the husband can annul the vow as long as it's before nightfall, right? If it's five minutes before, he has those five minutes. Now, let's analyze. And if you say that a husband can only annul his wife's vows for the purpose of Shabbat, but if it's not for the purpose of Shabbat, then what, is it, what does this have to do with, why specify nightfall? Even if for any time during the day, he would not be able to because it's not for the purpose of Shabbat. In other words, any vow that she's making a few minutes before Shabbat, surely it has no application for the purpose of Shabbat. Even if she says, I'm not going to have meat um, uh, uh, anymore. I'm not I'm never going to eat meat. Okay, so for five minutes on Shabbat, uh, you don't have to have meat those five minutes, right? It's not, nothing, nothing that could be that pressing that will be for the purpose of Shabbat um, to nullify that vow. And therefore, it, since the Mishnah says that the husband can nullify that vow, um, as long as it's not nightfall, um, that can't possibly be a case where it would have to be nullified for, for the purpose of Shabbat. It's got to be a case where it's not for the purpose of Shabbat, and yet the Mishnah says it's permitted. So therefore, our Mishnah suggests uh, the opposite, that a husband can nullify his wife's vows even on, on Shabbat, even if it's not for the purpose of Shabbat. Okay, um, so now we have a, uh, a contradiction between this Baraita and the implication from our Mishnah. And so we say, indeed, Tana'ehi, there are two different Tana'etic opinions, one in the Mishnah and one in the Baraita. The Machloket about whether a husband can undo, uh, nullify vows on Shabbat, not for the purpose of Shabbat, um, those two opinions, whether he can or not, line up with the two opinions we saw yesterday about whether a husband has a 24-hour period from the time he heard it, from 1.30 p.m. until 1.30 p.m. the next day, or it's more limited time, um, and the first opinion, that was what these two pairs, pairs said, me'at le'et, or the other opinion, which is in the Mishnah, that says until nightfall, whether it's five minutes or 23 and a half hours, it's, or you only have until nightfall. So this is how they match up. Watch. According to our Mishnah, that says you have the whole day until nightfall, but no, not, not anymore. In that case, surely the husband can nullify the vow even on Shabbat, even if it's not for the purpose of Shabbat. After all, there's no other choice. If she makes a vow on Shabbat, and that's not for the purpose. She says, I'm not going to drive anymore. And so that's, that certainly doesn't affect her activity on Shabbat, only after Shabbat. But the husband doesn't like that because, right, he needs her to, to drive, to uh, go do errands. And this can affect their relationship. And so he, uh, if he can't undo it on Shabbat, 
but he only has until the end of Shabbat, until nightfall, to undo it, right? Because this is the opinion that says his uh, the window of opportunity ends at nightfall. And since at, at, at the end of nightfall, since he can't do it on Shabbat, because it's not related to Shabbat, then he would never be able to nullify such vows. That would be impossible. Therefore, it's got to be that, according to our Mishnah, that says he can nullify it only until nightfall, our Mishnah would say, as Rabbi correctly inferred, that a husband can undo his wife's vows, even if they're not for the purpose of Shabbat. Um, whereas, according to the Zug, these two pairs of rabbis who say that a husband has 24 hours, no matter when it starts, well then, okay, even if she made the vow on Friday night, uh, an hour after Shabbat started, um, and it has to do with driving, so it doesn't have to do with Shabbat, then the husband cannot do it on Shabbat, cannot nullify it on Shabbat, but that's okay because he'll have till an hour after Shabbat ends to nullify the vow. So as soon as Shabbat ends, he'll nullify the, nullify the vow then. So because the window of our opportunity extends past um, uh, nightfall, so there'll always be some, even a, a couple of minutes, that's either before Shabbat, that, that will be uh, not Shabbat, in which he can nullify the vow that does not relate to Shabbat itself. All right, good. So next, um, uh, next question. Okay, the Mishnah in in Shabbat that we just quoted says that now asking a sage to dissolve um, a, a a vow. Um, has to, can only be done on Shabbat if it's to help Shabbat, for the purpose of Shabbat. This law, that you can go to a sage to dissolve a vow, is that only when they had no chance to do so before Shabbat started? Or even if there was a chance, right, uh, before Shabbat started? In other words, this is a leniency that we have to do this on Shabbat because generally we don't judge, we don't, we don't sit in judgment on Shabbat. So this leniency is it only if a guy made a vow, you know, five minutes before Shabbat that he's not going to drink wine. And then there was no chance to uh, annul the vow, to dissolve the vow beforehand. In that case, he can go to the sage on Friday night. Listen, I said, I'm not going to drink wine, but, you know, now I have to say Kiddush, Onik Shabbat. It relates to, to Shabbat. Then you can. But maybe if he made this vow on Wednesday, so there was plenty of time uh, to uh, dissolve it before. In that case, you can't spend time on Shabbat doing it. That's the question. Answer. Oh, we have action, actual case that the sages attended to. Same language as Zakuk, uh, to be required. They uh, paid attention to, they attended to. Uh, the son of Rav Zutra, the son of Rav Zaira, he who made a vow, and the rabbis dealt with his vow. Regarding that, uh, uh, um, they 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 attended to his vow, even though there was time before Shabbat, uh, and they could have told him, "Hey, you should have come before Shabbat." No, even though he made a way before, they still went and uh, dealt and dissolved his vow uh, on Shabbat. So we see from there that yes, it's permitted, even if you had a chance before Shabbat, you can still dissolve it on Shabbat, as long as it will help Shabbat. 
סבא רבי יוסף למאמן, נשענים נדרים בשבת, ביחיד מומחה אין, בשלושה הג'אותות לה, משום דמתחזה כדינה. אז רבי יוסף said, this law that you can dissolve a vow on Shabbat, he is, it made sense to him that this should only be true by going to a single sage. Um, right, there's two different ways to dissolve a vow. You can go to a betin, even though they, they are laymen, right? They're, you know, somewhat learned, but they're not experts. That's okay, because there's three of them or more. Um, or you can go to a single sage if he's an expert. Um, so he said, yeah, on Shabbat, you can go to a single expert, but to go to three people who were going to sit, well, then it looks like a Betin. And there's a law, Betin does not sit in session on Shabbat. One of the reasons is because usually a Betin, you have the court stenographer, they're writing things, they're signing documents. And so they may come to write on Shabbat. Another that's related to capital punishment, and you can't give capital punishment on Shabbat. Um, so therefore, if you're gonna, if you need to um, dissolve a vow on Shabbat, can't do it with three people. You can only do it with one expert. Rav Yosef thought to say that. said, no, not necessary, because there's so many other differences regarding dissolving vows. Um, we say that you can do it standing. Usually if it's an official court, the court, the, the judges have to be seated. Seated because they have to be concentrating, and you concentrate better when you're sitting down. But for dissolving a vow, you could do it standing up. Usually a judge cannot be a relative, but for undoing vows, it can even be relatives. This is important because a lot of times when we do hatarat nedarim in uh, in synagogue, um, the, the, there may be very, uh, relatives of the three people that are sitting in judgment, and so going to this that would be okay. Also at night, usually a court does not sit at night. They have to see things and see things clearly in the daytime, um, look at evidence. Um, but for, for um, uh, dissolving vows, they can do it at night because there are these important differences. So it's not going to look like a regular court session. Everybody will notice that, hey, there's relatives here. This, they could be doing it at night. They could be standing up. So this is not a real uh, a, a real uh, judicial session, and therefore they won't come to mix it up and think that you can um, have uh, sit in court during the on Shabbat, and that's why um, even on Shabbat you can even ha uh, dissolve a vow with three people. So we have a tradition name of Rav that this is a halacha Yes. Um, a, you can, a husband can annul a vow at night. That's what I've said. Now we ask, Hold on, why would Rav say that? Our Mishnah that we're, we're commenting on says, if a woman makes a vow at night, the husband can nullify it at night. So we have, a, it's a clear Mishnah. Rav doesn't have to tell us that the halacha follows an explicit Mishnah. Rather, uh, we must have heard Rav's statement uh, incorrectly. What he actually said is that uh, you can not, you can absolve, dissolve a vow at night, right? If um, someone makes a vow, they can go to a sage even at night, and the sage can dissolve it at night. That's what he said.
Amar le Rabbi Abba Rav Huna. Amar Rav Hachi. Now this was said said in uh, by Rabbi Abba in the name of Rav Huna in the name of Rav. So usually that means that Rav Huna actually heard Rav teach it. Right? Rav said this in uh, maybe in a public lecture, and Rav Huna is repeating it. But and Rav Abba appear, uh, said it in his name. But Rav, Rabbi Abba wanted to clarify this from Rav Huna and say, he asked him, did Rav actually say that explicitly, right? Are you sure you heard him say that? Because, right, this is a big chidush. Um, he said, no, actually, he didn't say explicitly, but he was silent, right? When I said it in his presence, Rav Huna said, your uh, sage is allowed to dissolve a vow at night. And Rav was quiet. And we have a rule, shitika kehoda'a. Um, if you're saying if you're saying a halacha, if a student, especially if a student is is, is presenting uh, before a, his teacher, so then the teacher is there to correct anything that the student says. And if Rav, since Rav was silent, that indicates that he agreed with the halacha. So actually, he was just quiet, and that's why I said it in his name. This is really fascinating because it shows you know you wonder in other cases where um, the, the, someone does not ask about this. Uh, does when you quote something in the name of a sage, does it mean they actually said it? Explicitly? Explicitly, or maybe we inferred it from their silence. There's other cases where we say, um, you know, did he say it explicitly or mikilala? Or are you inferring it from something he did or inferring it from something else he said? So sometimes students repeat something in the name of their teacher that they didn't say explicitly. So like this, this would be such a case. But then Rabbi Abba pressed him further and says, what, uh, can you repeat what you said? Did you say ishtik, that I was quiet? Or did you say shate, that he was drinking? Right? Maybe he was drinking something while you were presenting, and that's why he didn't react, because he was preoccupied with drinking and was not able to react, and then maybe you went on to the next topic. So the Abba is questioning Rav Huna um, about this, uh, this tradition, um, even though he said this tradition. Maybe, maybe this quote is after he clarified it. So we are going to clarify it from another uh, story. Rav Avin is le Rav le in fact, we have an actual case where Rav um, attended to Rabbah, uh, to his vow, and uh, helped him dissolve a vow, his vow, in a side room. That means not in the official place where a court would normally sit, uh, but in some side room, which means it, he would do it even if it was not official. Um, and so in the side room of the Bet Midrash, he did it standing, even though usually for official judgment you sit. He did it alone, even though for official judgment you need three. And he did it at night, even though usually you need, um, you need, uh, um, it has to be during the day. And so you see here that, yes, he, uh, he did it at night, and therefore, this tradition that Av uh, Huna said that you, uh, sage can dissolve a vow at night is in fact authentic, and uh, so that's probably maybe after that clarification. That's why the Bi Abba said in the name of Rav Huna and the name of Rav. Yes, he in fact said that. Um, uh, perhaps he was silent at the time, but we can uh, we can prove that his silence was meaningful. He's, he was silent because he agreed, not just because he was drinking, because Rav himself made a judgment at night, and therefore. Uh, um, that is the halacha, that we, we can make judgments at night. Um, so that's very helpful because that explains why we would say kol nidre, kal nidre at night and why we uh, do uh, sometimes uh, say hatarat um, nedarim even at night.
אמר רבה, אמר רב נחמן, הלכה נשאלים נדרים עומד, יחידי ובלילה, ובשבת ובקרבים, אפילו היה להן פני מבעוד יום. Here is a, a, a confirmation of the halacha that we just saw. Yes, a sage can undo a vow while standing, even alone, even at night, even on Shabbat, even if he's related. And even if they could have had time to do it before Shabbat, they still are allowed to do it on Shabbat. Okay. Omed v'atanya. So now we have a challenge, this standing. Is that true that you can uh, dissolve a vow while standing? We have a story in a Braita. Yarad Rabban Gamliel min hachamor v'nitatef v'yashav v'yitir lo nidro. One time Rabban Gamliel, he was riding on a donkey and someone came and said, Can you please help me dissolve my vow? And Rabban Gamliel got off the donkey um, and he put on a shawl. Uh, the reason for that is that judges, like today, like ju- judges wear a robe, so too back then a judge would wrap himself um, in a shawl, uh, perhaps even his head, like we do with a talit, you put it, we, we put it on a, over our heads um, in concentration. That's the point, that you're not looking around, but this helps with, with concentration. Another reason is that when a judgment when a judge is sitting and judging so the Shekhinah is with them because uh, right God represents justice he is justice and therefore um, a judge is actually called Elohim and so um, this is an, a holy act and so he's going to lehit um, atef in a talit um, because he's engaged in a holy act um, this is actually quite interesting because right we see here that there's two people that that put on a talit, um, uh, a, 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 it could be official shawl or maybe just a, a you know a, a wrap, whatever it is. Um, but this, who does it? A judge and someone praying. Um, also, there's a story about the sages when they're studying Maase Merkava, right? They have to concentrate. They put they 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 wrap themselves in a shawl. Uh, what do these have in common? Interestingly, Lehit Palel, right? We say usually translate to pray, comes from the root Palel, which also means to judge, right? You're in uh, introspecting, judge, judging oneself. Um, so perhaps the custom to uh, wear a talit during prayer actually derives from judges who would wear an official robe, wrap themselves to concentrate while judging. So we want to have that similar concentration um, for studying uh, deep things and for prayer as introspection. All right, so this uh, requires uh, some more investigation, but I think this is super interesting. Um, Anyway, Rabban Gamliel, he would not only uh, get off the donkey, but he would sit and only then he uh, dissolved that this person's um, vow. So you see, he made sure to sit down. Um, why is that? Um, even though you just said the halacha is not so, Rav Nachman said that you could do it standing. And the answer is, this is related to another machloket, Rabban Gamliel sabar potchin becharata, miyaka nidra ba'inan u'be'yune ahi yashav. Okay, to explain this, I'm going to show you the manuscripts because the manuscripts um, uh, uh, add a law here that ends up being the opposite of what it says in the printed version and that ends up making more sense. So here you can see, it says, Rabban Gamliel um, uh, permitted because uh, he thought, um, that 
the printed edition says potrin bechadata, but the older printed editions and one manuscript says en potrin bechadata. Chadata means uh, when a person uh, regrets. So Rabban Gamaliel says you can't simply dissolve a vow because a person says, I regret making the vow. Um, see, if you just, ba based on that, that's an easy way. I regret, I wish I didn't make the vow. Okay, that you could do standing, right? because it doesn't need a lot of concentration. The person says he regrets it, he wishes he never made it, so that's enough. But among Gamaliel, that was not sufficient grounds to, to undo a vow. Um, uh, he needed me'akad nidra ba'inan. He, Rabban Gamliel, required uprooting the vow from the beginning based on an unforeseen circumstance. And that requires a lot of concentration to go and ask the, ask the person who made the vow, did you realize when you made the vow that by saying that you won't be able to drink wine that that would affect your onik Shabbat and it would affect the, this and that and uh, you know, your ability to... Um, to go to a wedding, to say Havdalah, right? He says, oh, I didn't realize this, but yeah, this takes careful attention, and you have to really be sitting to figure out um, uh, what the person was thinking and whether this is a, um, a very far-fetched, unforeseen circumstance or something that he should have uh, uh, known about. That's why Rabban Gamaliel sat, because he required that higher bar, and that's why he had to look at it. Whereas Rav Nachman th thought, that you see in the printed edition says n but in other editions and all the manuscripts don't have the word n um so it's Rabban says this is it's enough to just say just ask him do you regret making the vow i regret making the vow and that's enough since it doesn't require a lot of concentration that's why Rabban Gamliel said that you can even do it standing up. And so that resolves the contradiction. Rav Nachman says you could do it standing up because you need the low bar of just regret. Whereas Rabban Gamliel said, no, you have to, um, you have to find, you have to know it to, be from, from, to begin with uh, based on um, unforeseen, unforeseen circumstances that requires more concentration and sitting down. So now a related discussion about uh, the importance of not making vows at all, right? Because look at the story, this person, uh, this uh, sage who came from Eretz Yisrael, and he said, um, the rabbis there in Eretz Yisrael uh, attended to a vow made by Rav Huna, the son of Avin, and they dissolved his vow. But even though they dissolved his vow, they said, also, go and pray for mercy for yourself because you sinned. You sinned just by making a vow. Even though he didn't violate the vow, just making the vow is a sin. How do you know? Anyone who makes a vow, even if you fulfill the vow, still you're called a sinner. What's the source? The pasuk is, The pasuk says, if you refrain from making a vow, then there'll be no sin. Pasuk in Devarim, right? If you don't make a vow in the first place, then you don't even enter the possibility of having to, of maybe violating it. So, therefore, don't make a vow at all. We can infer from the language here that if you do not refrain from making a vow, meaning if you do make a vow, you sin, even if 
uh, is not the Peshat. The Peshat sounds like, you know, don't even come close, don't make a vow at all, then for sure you won't sin. Um, but you only really officially sin if you make a vow and violate it. But we're inferring from this pasuk, and it's uh, it is in the spirit of the of the of the pasuk that if just by making a vow, you're already made a sin. Not that there's going to be any official punishment for it, um, but still, you'd have to you should pray for uh, rachamim um, and uh, don't do that again. Right? Better not to make vows at all. Okay. Tanya, haomer leishto kol nedarim shetidori efshi shetidori and zeneder lo amar kelum. Okay, the last section of the daf is about um, a language that when when uh, if a husband uses unofficial language to um, annul his wife's vow, that only implies but doesn't say it uh, outright in the correct way. The correct way for a husband to annul his wife his wife's vow is is to say. Um, as we're going to see in a second, mufalichi, mufalichi, mufalichi says three times is nullified for you, or batelichi, it's canceled for you. If he says it uses that language, that's the official language that the husband should use. But if he doesn't say that, instead he says, any vows that you make, I don't want them. I don't want you to vow. Well, uh, that's not that's not uh, so clear. That's not the official language. Or if he says it is not a vow, he didn't. He's not saying he's nullifying the vow. He's just saying it's not a vow. But it, he, she did make a vow, so it's as if he said nothing. It's not sufficient, because she made a vow, and now you have to uh, you have to cancel it. So you have to say language that um, says explicitly that he's canceling it. However, if he wants to ratify the vow, then it's enough if he says it even. In uh, in uh, in a different language, it says Yafe Asit En Kemotech Veim Lo Nadat Medirech Ani Devarav Kayamin. If she made a vow and he said, "Oh, that's nice that you did that," and or he says, "There's nobody like you," and praise, right? You're the best. Um, or if he says, "Even if you didn't make a vow like that, I would have asked you to make a vow like that." Oh, in that case, it's okay. Why? See, ratification is, is a, needs a lower bar because um, if even if the guy does nothing by the end of the day, it will be it will kick in. So therefore, even if he ratifies just in his head, right? That's um, that already um, has has some effect. So if he says it at all, he's not changing the status quo. She made a vow; the vow was there, so it will continue to be there and will be ratified even. Um, if he says language, that's not the usual language. Whereas for annulling a vow, there he's changing the status quo. He has, the vow is there, the prohibition exists. He has to take it away. In that case, he has to use the official language. Now, lo amar adam leishto b'shabat mufal lo yomar adam leishto b'shabat mufal lichi batelichi kederach shomer la bechol. Now, even though during the weekday. He has supposed to say the official language, but on Shabbat he should use a different language. Even though we said on Shabbat, your husband is allowed to annul his wife's vow on Shabbat, still he should change the way he does it. Don't say like the usual phrase, it's annulled for you, um, it's canceled for you, like he says on a weekday. Rather, if she makes a vow on Shabbat, or, or he hears about it on Shabbat, as she's not going to eat meat, so then on Shabbat he could take the meat and say, "Here, eat the eat the meat." Right? He'll have in mind, "Oh, I don't want this, I don't want this vow. I want it to be canceled." Right? He could think about it, but he doesn't have to say it. Just by offering her meat 
Or if, you say, if she says, I'm not going to drink wine, and, she, and he says, here, drink the wine, that, um, though, though, that thought of canceling and the act, action of telling, uh, commanding her uh, to take it and drink, that makes the, 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 her vow canceled. And that's more proper to do on Shabbat. Adds not just say it, but also have in mind that he is canceling the vow. That's those the two things together. Tanya, We're done for in a Braita that what we just talked about is subject to a machloket. Bet Shamai says on Shabbat. To have it in mind um, that you, he's going to cancel. He wants to. He wants the vow to be canceled. But during on a weekday, he should say it outright. So he agrees that there is a difference between them, and uh, and so this uh, this uh, lines up with what we said here. Whereas Betilel says no on Shabbat and even during a weekday, it's sufficient to uh, nullify it in your in his heart, and he doesn't have to say the official language outright. Baruch Adonai Amen